We left off last time in Philippians chapter 2. We came all the way to verse 19. And we will be picking up with Paul commending Timothy for the job that he's done and also praising Epaphroditus. So verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, that I also may be encouraged when I know your state. For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. For all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father he served me, served with me in the gospel. Therefore I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So Timothy, obviously as a young boy, came to help Paul in uh, preaching the gospel. Uh, It does appear that Timothy is with Paul at this point in Rome. So in the Roman prisons, they wouldn't really care for you at at any level, really. Uh, You had to have somebody outside the prison taking care of you. And so we see going into this that Timothy was probably caring for Paul and also Epaphroditus would bring the gifts from the Philippians to Rome to Paul. And so these two men were an integral part of Paul's time in prison. And Paul here is wanting to send Timothy back to the church in Philippi to tell them how he's doing in Rome. Okay, so there was no texting, no fax, no telephones. So they had to actually send people back and forth. And um, so Paul wants to send Timothy because he knows that when Timothy arrives at Philippi, tells them that Paul is doing well, that they will be encouraged. Okay, And we see this sense of encouragement uh, throughout this letter to the Philippians. He says, For I have no one like-minded who will sincerely care for your state. So we're not really sure if no one else was with Paul at this point besides Timothy. Uh, we know Luke and a couple others were with him on this journey, but we don't know if he's saying this to their exclusion or if they just simply weren't there to be used at this point. Um, verse 21, for all seek their own, not the things which are of Christ Jesus. But you know his proven character, that as a son with his father, he served with me in the gospel. Therefore, I hope to send him at once, as soon as I see how it goes with me. So he's kind of hesitant to send Timothy at first. He wants to see uh, what's going to become of him before he sends his messenger back to the Philippians. But I trust in the Lord that I myself shall also come shortly. So not only does he want Timothy to go, but he's seeing the light at the end of the tunnel um, at Rome. And uh, this would be towards the end of his imprisonment at Rome. So he was looking forward to that. He was looking forward to being free again and actually going himself to visit this Philippian church. Verse 25, Yet I considered it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother, fellow worker, and fellow soldier, but your messenger and the one who ministered to my need. So again, Epaphroditus was actually from the Philippian church. He was one of them. 
and he carried their offerings. Uh, we know there was at least four, possibly a fifth offering that came from the church in Philippi to Paul. Uh, so Epaphroditus would actually have been the person that carried that offering to Paul in prison. And with him, he brought news of the Philippian church. That's how Paul knows uh, the inner workings of that church and how they were doing. Uh, 26, since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. So we see that Epaphroditus actually came down with something when he got to Rome to be with Paul. Uh, At this time, there was a bit of a, a bug that would be present in the water, some of the food. So it seems likely that Epaphroditus kind of caught the Rome stomach bug. Uh, and actually it brought him very close to death. And we see, for indeed he was sick almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So if God had not delivered Epaphroditus from the sickness, Paul knows that he would have been hurt as well. Uh, He evidently knew Epaphroditus fairly well and obviously would have had a deep connection to him, him being one of the, the early members of the Church of Philippi. And back in verse 26, it says, and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick. Epaphroditus, um, didn't like that the Philippians were worrying about him. He didn't want them to be worrying about him. Uh, He knew that whatever happened would happen to the furtherance of the gospel. But since he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard that he was sick, for indeed he was sick, almost unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. Therefore I sent him the more eagerly that when you see him again, you may rejoice, and I may be less sorrowful. So again, Paul wants to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippian church so that they can deliver the message that Paul is doing well. Receive him therefore in the Lord with all gladness, and hold such men in esteem, because for the work of Christ he came close to death, not regarding his life, to supply what was lacking in your service towards me. Um, when it says to supply what was lacking in your service toward me, uh, that's not a dig on the Philippian church. Paul loved this church uh, dearly, but they simply didn't have a lot. Um, later on in the book, in chapter 4, uh, even towards the end of that chapter, Paul says that they were not lacking in will. They wanted to give more to Paul, but they lacked opportunity. So that's what this is talking about, um, to supply what was lacking in their opportunity in your service towards me. Coming to chapter 3, Paul is going to uh, warn this church about the Judaizers, the Christians who were preaching legalism. And he makes a very strong argument to them to discard the legalism, and focus on Jesus. So Paul has greater cause than any of these Judaizers to trust in his legalism. But he counts that all as loss and replaces 
that righteousness with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And we'll see that play out. So chapter 3, verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. It's kind of funny that he says, beware of dogs, because the Jews at this time would refer to the Gentiles as dogs. And Paul is kind of taking that and twisting it around. He's saying, no, 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 the Gentiles aren't dogs. And he flips it back around on the Judaizers, and he's saying, be careful, because these people will preach something to you that is different than the gospel which I have preached to you. And that's that's very dangerous. So he says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the mutilation. The mutilation here is referring to circumcision, simply a mutilation of the flesh. And um, in our time, we know that we are not bound by that same law that the Israelites were bound by. Uh, there is a new covenant, the New Testament. Um, so we are set free by Jesus. And I want to call your attention to Colossians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12. It says, In him you were also circumcised with the circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, buried with him in baptism, in which you also were raised with him through faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. So we see that circumcision is no longer required. The circumcision is taken care of by Jesus. And Jesus cuts out the things of our heart that are of the flesh. He purifies us, sanctifies us. So the mutilation, um, that was being preached by these Judaizers. They were saying, if you are not circumcised, you're not as holy as I am. You're not as spiritual as I am because I have been circumcised. And it's this Jesus and. You're adding something to the gospel of Christ. And that's not, not at all how it goes. It's Jesus, period. Okay, Nothing that we do religiously is going to make us more spiritual than we are simply with Jesus. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit. We are that new covenant that was made with the people. Rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. He doesn't say have a little bit of confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. It does you no good. Verse 4, Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. Circumcised on the eighth day. So these people, these Judaizers who were preaching circumcision, um, they very well could have been circumcised later on in their life. And as unpleasant as that would be, they thought that it would make them more holy. Uh, but Paul is saying, no, 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 no. I was circumcised on the eighth day according to the exact law that God gave the Israelites. If there was reason to attain righteousness 
through the flesh, through following this law, Paul would have had it. He would have been the one. Uh, He grew up in Tarsus. He was apparently fairly wealthy. Uh, Tarsus was a pretty nice part of town. Uh, He studied at the feet of Gamaliel, the the pinnacle Hebrew scholar. Uh, He was very well-learned, and he had all of these things in the flesh that he needed for righteousness. Okay, and these Judaizers are trying to come into that and steal what Paul had, what the Jews had. But Paul is going to go on to say, um, I more so, circumcised the eighth day, how it was supposed to be done, of the stock of Israel. He wasn't a Hellenist. He wasn't Greek and then came into the Jewish religion. He was of Israel. He was of that lineage. A Pharisee. He was strict. He made it his life's point to keep the law. That's what the Pharisees did. And we have a negative view of them today, but they really were the religious leaders. I mean, they were the ones that people would generally look up to to see how something was supposed to be done. Um, And so now, obviously, they had some things twisted. Uh, They put too much emphasis on the law and not on the heart of the law. But as far as this is concerned, Paul is just saying, I took the law seriously. I, I was very strict in my keeping of the law. He says, concerning zeal, persecuting the church. What does that mean? Well, the Judaizers were trying to be zealous. They wanted to be gung-ho for what they believed, for the law. And Paul says, well, I mean, i got to one-up you there. I was not only zealous for myself, I was zealous to the point that I was persecuting Christians. He was holding Christians at the point of a sword, forcing them to blaspheme the name of Jesus Christ. That is zealous for the law. Um, And so, again, Paul is just one-upping these guys. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. If somebody looked at at Paul according to the law, he was blameless. He carried everything out the way that it should be. But what things were gained to me, those things in the flesh, according to the law, these I have counted loss for Christ. So all these things that the Jews considered righteousness, Paul discards. He says they're rubbish. And he replaces them with the truth of Jesus Christ. Yet I indeed also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Now, Paul, being a persecutor of the church, would have turned to 180 when he became a Christian. Do you remember in Acts 16, it would have been uh, around verses 27 through 33? Uh, I want to visit that again. This is back when Paul and Silas were imprisoned. 
uh, in Philippi before this church had started. And God miraculously frees them from the prison through an earthquake. Uh, They could have escaped, but they stuck around. They talked to the jailer who was in charge of them, and the jailer and his whole family was saved. So that's where we're, we're headed back to. So Acts 16, starting in verse 27, says this, And the keeper of the prison, awakening from sleep and seeing that the prison doors opened, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. But Paul called with a loud voice, saying, Do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down, trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. And he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes, and immediately he and all his family were baptized. Can you imagine the conversations that Paul and Silas had with this jailer? Paul, coming from the background that he did, persecuting the church, zealous for the law, talking to this jailer who also was persecuting the church now. It's It's interesting to me to think about. It says, Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and all who were in his house. I would think that it would go something like this. The jailer uh, is talking to Paul, saying, Man, there's no way. There's no possible way that God would love me after what I've done. I've held y'all in prison. Uh, Y'all were preaching the gospel. And I, I tried my best to stop that. Paul would then just kind of shake his head and say, man, you have no idea what I've done. And I've experienced that forgiveness. Um, Holding Christians to the point of a sword. At one point, Paul describes his previous life as uh, being like a ravenous beast, like a lion ripping at the flesh of the church. Can you imagine that? This Philippian jailer, trying to wrap his hand around the forgiveness and the love that is being extended to him. And no doubt that Paul and Silas could have fled the prison and they could have been free. And this jailer would have been on the hook for it. And he would have been killed for them escaping. But they don't do that. They chose to stick around, to minister to this guy, and to extend that love of Christ to him. So when Paul says concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. He means that, and he passes that on to this Philippian jailer who would would have actually been a member of this Philippian church now. I thought that was, that was very interesting. So, and be found in him, this is verse 9, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings be conformed, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected. Do you know Jesus like you want to? Because I don't. And Paul is saying that he doesn't either. 
So we're all in good company, but we don't know Jesus how we want to know Jesus. It's a constant um, cycle. Uh, not, a, not a cycle, it's a race. Um, several times Paul likens the Christian walk to a race. And he says he's not already perfected, but that's what he's shooting for. So look here, but I press on that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead. When I read that, I thought of a racehorse with blinders on. They can't see what's behind them, even to the side of them. They're laser-focused on the track. And they have that one objective, and they've been trained well. They're running, and they're trying to get to the finish line. Have you ever seen a jockey fall off the horse? The horse keeps running. He does not turn around and grab that jockey. That horse is so laser-focused on what he knows he has to do that he, he really doesn't even pay attention to it. I guess it just feels like a lighter load so you can run faster. I don't know. But that, that's kind of what Paul is saying. He's forgetting those things which are behind him and reaching forward. Reaching forward to those things which are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. Now, he says this mind again. And last time we saw the mind of Christ is to humble yourself and exalt others, to put others above yourself. So I do think that he's referring again he uses the same verbiage. He says, this mind. That's the same thing that he said in the last chapter, uh, talking about the mind of Christ. So having this mind, the mind of Christ, and if, any, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. He says, let us walk by the same rule. That is the mind of Christ. So these Judaizers were trying to enforce rules on everyone else. Um, Bill, you got to keep the Sabbath. Jenny, you got to, I don't know, do something else. Something according to the law. Um, Jimmy, you got to be circumcised. You know, trying to enforce these things that were not not enforceable to the church because they were set free by the blood of Christ. So if we live by different rules, we cannot live of the same mind. Okay? Um, put better, we can't be of the same mind if we are walking by different rules. We need to all be walking in the mind of Christ. And that, necess that necessarily means that we are all pointed in the same direction. If we're all living by different rules, if different things are impressed upon different people to different extents, then we're not all reaching towards the same goal. So 
we have this mind that is in Christ. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example. So this is not the only time that that Paul says something like this. Imitate me while I imitate Christ. So Paul is again exhorting them to, to follow his example. And note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. And there are many of you in here that have been walking with Christ for longer than I have. And obviously I'm, I'm fairly young, so some of you have some years on me, and that comes with experience. So I do look to y'all to basically see an example. Okay, so even my eyes are on you as examples for me. So Paul is, is really saying the same thing. He's saying, note those who so walk, who walk in this way that I'm telling you to walk, because they are a pattern for you. So you, you older people in the church are a pattern to the younger people. And I know that's, that's a, maybe a burden is not the right way to say it, but it should be a sobering realization that people are looking up to you. And I know people are looking up to me as well. And we all need to take that very seriously because we are impressing on the younger Christians in the church. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything, and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we have already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Brethren, join in following my example, and note those who so walk, as you have us for a pattern. For many walk, of whom I have told you often, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Again, referring to those who would impress on others the law. He says they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. They're adding to the cross. It's unnecessary and it's destructive to the message of the cross. Because if Jesus was not enough, he's worthless. If he is not enough by himself to save us, if we can get into heaven another way, the cross is worthless. They're enemies of the cross who add to that message whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame. Now, whose end is destruction. Destruction is also perdition. It's, it's the ultimate end for the enemies of the cross. Whose God is their belly. They're greedy. They're lustful. They, they want those things of the flesh to satisfy the flesh. You have a dog that all he can think about is food? That's kind of what we're talking about. He always sits by the food bowl just waiting for you to bring food. There's nothing else important in his life. He wants to satisfy his belly. That's what we're talking about, the fleshly desires, and whose glory is in their shame, who set their mind on earthly things. Again, 
Set your mind not on earthly things, but of heavenly things. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly await for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. This is so, so encouraging. For our citizenship is in heaven. We all have two addresses if we're, we're a part of the body of Christ. We have one in Stephenville or Heiko, wherever you live, and we have one in heaven. So we've got these two addresses. We're here for a little while, and then we'll be there. And man, especially today, that is comforting. And I love that. For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he is able even to subdue all things to himself. It's beautiful. Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, beloved. So Paul kind of wraps up this idea with an exhortation. He just says, my beloved and long poor brethren, again, he loved this church. Uh, probably, if not at the top of his list, they were very close to his favorite church. He says, therefore, my beloved and long poor brethren, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord. Don't move backwards. Stand fast. Um, hold your ground. So... Let's wrap up in a word of prayer, and then we'll be dismissed.